Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I continue a special series looking at the history of broadcasting here as we mark the 90th anniversary of RTHK with a mix of current interviews, archive material and music. In this programme, I'll be picking up the story in the late 1960s as I talk with Robert Chua Wapeng about his creation, TVB's Enjoy Yourself Tonight. Yeah, I came to Hong Kong to help start TVB six months before it opened. And later in the programme, the life of I'm an actor, the late radio broadcaster Ralph Pixton of Open Line. How much do you know about UFOs in Hong Kong? I'm, a, I'm an absolute authority. You are an authority. Yes. Excellent. Later in the series, we hear from the late former director of broadcasting, James Hawthorne, on the rules he set down to run RTHK. And the first condition I laid down was that the news would be run by broadcasters, not by the information service. And the beloved Hong Kong television series that came about as James Hawthorne put the T in RTHK, below the Lion Rock. I'll be delving in the RTHK archives and Raymond M, a former deputy director of broadcasting, tells me about founding Radio 2 and competing for young listeners with commercial radio. Radio 2, under my heading, was then and still is a youth channel. We'll be hearing about news coverage here as journalists try to make sense of what had happened on June the 4th, 1989. I saw five corpses on stretchers. But eyewitnesses suggest that far more have died in the square, tens or even hundreds of people, not just from gunshot, but from being crushed by tanks. There's a discussion over whether RTHK should be corporatised. Whether it could stop being a government department and instead have a, a structure and function more like, say, the BBC as an independent corporation as we move through the decades to the present day. But let's take a moment to recap the story so far. The first broadcasts in Hong Kong were conducted in the 1920s by keen amateur radio enthusiasts before GOW was created with its first broadcast at the end of June in 1928. The name would then change to ZBW until 1948 when it became Radio Hong Kong. In earlier programmes we heard about veteran presenter Aileen Woods. In 1940, when his Christmas broadcast came again, Again, it was so marvellously touching. He, he, he was such a wonderful king. Japanese radio during the military occupation from December 1941. They set up some loudspeakers in central, some some of the major residential area. And the incredible Uncle Ray Cadero, who started out with rediffusion and is still going strong from 10 till 1 on weekday nights at the age of 93. I joined Radio Fusion in 1949, knowing nothing about radio. If you'd like to listen to the first five programmes of the 90th anniversary series, they're available on the Hong Kong Heritage Podcast if you scroll back to June the 2nd.
The Hong Kong Heritage Museum is also hosting an exhibition on the 90th anniversary of broadcasting. So let's pick up the story in 1967, when Hong Kong is struggling with communist riots and the television station TVB, or Television Broadcast Limited, is born. The station was officially opened by then-Governor Sir David Trench on November 19th, 1967. Television at this time was the key entertainment for people, and TVB would be stiff competition for Hong Kong's first TV station, Rediffusion. The first images shown on the station were a live transmission of the Macau Grand Prix. Then there was a feature called London Calling Hong Kong, which was made up of greetings from former governors Alexander Grantham and Robert Black. Then there was a piano recital by Chu Yi Ha. There was a Chinese channel, TVB Jade, and an English-language channel, TVB Pearl. TVB had just hired a 21-year-old producer. Originally from Singapore, Robert Chua had learned the trade in Melbourne, learning how to use a television camera. Now he would bring those skills to Hong Kong as he created the city's first live entertainment television show. Enjoy yourself tonight. They were huge. The camera those days was huge, very big. Now you can use a very tiny camera to get the same quality, if not better quality, in fact. You know. Would you have been able to do multiple shots, or was it just one shot? And was it live? I was, I was involved in a live variety show. Enjoy yourself tonight. So I know what it is like. So I was a cameraman for a live show. So, in fact, from an experience I had, that's how I managed to produce Enjoy Yourself Tonight in Hong Kong. So you come to Hong Kong at the very young age of 21 and set up a variety show. Yes, uh, that was an idea from Colin Bettnell, the general manager, who came from Melbourne. And there was a program show called Melbourne Tonight Show. Five. And so he was the general manager of TVB? Or? Yes, Colin Bettnell was the general manager of TVB. It was his idea to produce a live show five nights a week. The concept was a live show. Uh, Melbourne Tonight was a live show, and it's five nights a week. And it's basically mostly talk, you know, a lot of talk show with the host and some entertainment. But in Hong Kong, realizing that the situation is different, I don't think people want to listen to much talk show because people want to be entertained. So I reversed the whole percentage of entertainment to about 70, 80%, and 20% at most is talk. And the talk shows are evolving. Would have involved stars, personality that people would know and recognize, dancing, comedy, and then all this stuff, you know. EYT, or Enjoy Yourself Tonight, starts in 1967. So were you starting a variety show in the middle of the riots? Yeah, I came to Hong Kong to help start TVB six months before it opened in May. Was it a time of political uncertainty then? I mean, it was an interesting time to be setting up both a TV station and a new entertainment show. It was really a very interesting time when it was in turmoil, there was uh, riots going on, and TBB was about to start end of 67, and there was riots going on. There was still some uncertainty whether it could open at the end of the year. I'm glad that it would open in November 1967, and EYT started on the 20th November, which is a Monday. So the idea was that people who had had a hard working day could come home and have possibly lighter entertainment on the TV. So, I mean, in 1967, how many people would you say in Hong Kong? I mean, was it a regular, was television becoming a, a regular family entertainment by then? Television, not many people, not many has television. It was black and white. And lots of people have to, to go to a coffee shop or the neighbor's home to watch it. So television was a luxury at that time, you know, for not many people has TV. It's very expensive then. 
Can you remember in November of 1967, on that Monday evening, can you remember what your first show was? The, the first show, in fact, I did the first show for TVB was a recital, piano recital, which was at on 19th on Sunday night. Uh, and also uh, during the day, it was the, the Grand Prix of Macau. So we did a live, live Grand Prix on 19th on opening. And then evening, that normal programming, and I produced the first re- uh, piano recital. Then on 20th, which is a Monday, that's where the EYT started. And that is where I, I produced the first EYT. And do you remember who was on? Yes, the first team is uh, Leong Sing Po, Cheng Kwan Min, Do Peng, Tracy Chen, Fei Fei, Sam Sam, Stella Chi, and then the singers Rebecca Penn. This is our first team. So tell me about Fei Fei. Fei Fei was unknown then, was just playing extras in movies, but I found her to be a very talented smart young lady. She's one of the outstanding performers on UIT, a big star. You know, uh, she's just so good, you know, I miss her. So Fei Fei is also known as Lydia Shum? Yes, she's known as Lydia Shum. Fei Fei is known as Lydia Shum, yes, right, yeah. yes, yeah. And uh, with uh, Rebecca Pan, I mean, obviously all of these names become later, you know, major stars, but EYT really was a rite of passage. You, you, if you hadn't been on EYT, you weren't a success story just yet. Yes, that's for sure. You know, I mean, it's some prominent names. For example, Theresa Tang, her first performance after she won a contest in Taiwan, appeared on Enjoy Yourself. So was Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee came and then Raymond Chow saw him on UYT. And uh, a lot of big stars, everyone, they come to Hong Kong. You've not been to UYT, you're nothing. Not a big star at all. Tell me about meeting Bruce Lee. Oh, Bruce Lee was, was a real great gentleman. Uh, a good professional friends. Uh, we have great respect for each other. On EYT, did you ever present or you were the man behind the scenes, the producer? I, I'm just only in EYT, the man behind. I created the show, I was executive producer, and I, at one stage, directed four out of five nights myself. Later, I did three nights a week. So uh, I'm very active, and that's my baby, you know, I, I just love EYT. Take it back to the late 1960s. I mean, you've got a live show, you've got this huge... I mean, what, how many cameras would you have yeah. had on the studio floor? You uh, had three cameras, that's all. Very simple, and it was live. Uh, we have even live commercials. The show was so successful, we started as an hour show. You soon extended to an hour and a half, and then an hour and 45 minutes, because there's too much commercials. We yes, need... I was going to say, it became a magnet for advertising, didn't it? Yes, I think this is the one that made TVB, because there's so much advertising that we had to extend the show <laughs> to, to accommodate advertising. So what do you mean? I mean, if you've got three cameras... On the studio floor, you've got the entertainers, as you say, you've got, so you've got comedy, you've got songs, it's all live, you're producing. I mean, obviously, you would have had 
programme sheets, you'd have known second by second what's going to be happening throughout that hour and a half. But to do that every night, are you quite a calm person? Was that stressful? Did you enjoy the adrenaline? Doing a live show was just no bother to me yet. I, I can do it. Uh, you, you have to sometimes control the time. You have quite often sometimes you've got to cut off one items of that evening when the time overruns because when people talk, presenter overruns, you know, you can control the items and songs. But we do comedy if you talk, you can't control 100%. So there's ways you have to really know what to do, how to change items. When you go back to 1967, where was the first show? Was it in a TVB studio? And then who did you invite in? Because presumably you also had a live audience. Yes, the first the first UIT show was uh, as it is in the TVB studio in Broadcast Drive. And that, then just when I mentioned earlier, team, that was the first team of members who, who was on the first night. And so how many people in the audience? Our audience is about, I suppose, nearly about 100 or so. That's all. Did small. you sort of have big cards saying laugh, applause? <laughs> we have all the, the lights on top for applause. We do a warm-up before the show starts, about 10 minutes before the show starts. We'll just get a couple of artists to talk to them and warm up. Now look at the lights, lights up there. If it flashes, you know, please applause, you know. That's all. We did, we did nothing. <laughs> applause is the only thing we, re, we require them to, to, to do. The and laughter comes naturally. And um, um, did you sort of have a ballot? Did you sort of, who could actually be an audience member? Oh, I, the audience members have to uh, apply through the TV magazine. I know there's some people who wait for years to get it. So when you start off with EYT in 1967 in the November, that was then um, five nights a week? Yes, yeah, it started five nights a week, one, it's one hour show. Then later extended to an hour and a half and extend further, another 15 minutes to hour 45, so that we can accommodate much more advertising to come in. And how long did it run for? It ran for about 28 years, you know. 28? Yeah, about that time, yeah. yeah. I, I, only, I was only involved in the first seven years. And uh, so this obviously was a hugely successful format. And um, so people initially in 1967, if they didn't own a, their television themselves, they would uh, go off to a local coffee shop or equivalent. Neighbors. Yes, neighbours as yeah, well. Yeah. Right. Yes, and, and it would have been on a small set and in black and white initially. Yeah, it was all black and white initially, yeah, until yeah. a few years later it turned colour, yeah. Now, Lydia Shum, she had fantastic comic timing, didn't she? Yeah, she was very good. She was a natural talent anyway. So she was sort of a nobody in those days, just in the play extras in movies. But I spotted her talent, and she was just an outstanding success, you know, instant success. People love her. Uh, we love her style, you know. Now, when you uh, finished for the evenings, when you finished that hour and a half, did you just go out for dinner? or? Oh, well, the dinner is usually my supper, going to the nightclubs, just to go and spot talents again. Where would the nightclubs have been, oh. and what, what were their names? Oh, well, there was a high ball, Golden Crown, you know, Savoy, all those kind, you know. And the Savoy is where I discovered Joseph Koo. He was on a band leader there, where I got him into TVB. So we invited him to lead our the TVB orchestra, and he turned out to be a great success. He's a very good man, very talented. What time did EYT start in the evening, then? EYT starts at 9.30, and I remember at 2 o'clock they come in for rehearsal, to read through were there times where things went wrong on live TV? Nothing really seriously bad went wrong at all. Only, only once that I feel very embarrassed is that when they do the miming of a song, the operator played the wrong music. That was the most embarrassing part. <laughs> <you know. laughs> 
In terms of also the skit, I know that you'd have had all sorts of things to manage on that studio floor. But when you look at the comedy from those early days uh, with Fei Fei and others, were they about what was going on in colonial Hong Kong or was it everyday householdy stuff or kids going to school? What, what would the comedy focus have been? The comedy focus is basically on the normal day of what people in Hong Kong experience, you know. So when you see at night, they come home, people work very hard, they're poor, and they go home, there's only time they can relax. I, the team member I put together is that they can relate to them. Some of them, they relate, oh, this is my elder sister, or oh, this is like my brother, this is like my, my grandpa, this is like my father. Going back to the late 1960s, do you remember what kind of, you know, when you would, when you would switch over to the live advert, do you remember what, what kind of commercials they were? There were many commercials. Uh, you have a washing machine, you have uh, cigarettes, you know, and then the one most prominent one people remember is uh, Samsung says, Sam Ho G, 30 cents for a TV magazine. So people always remember her by saying, the finger pointing out, 30 cents, yeah. For a magazine. EYT, Enjoy Yourself Tonight, is an English name yes. for a Cantonese show. Yes, that's right. And what's the Chinese name? The fact that it was live, how did that go on the camera then? So you weren't producing any kind of film? In the early days, sometimes we have to do some location shooting. Then we have to shoot a 16mm film. That's more, very costly, you know, when you shoot film, you bring back the process, you know, you don't know what you shot. You shot in 16mm. So that is very costly. But in those early days when you were shooting live, from a technology perspective, what did that mean? How did people see it on their, you know, because it's not a film, it goes out on a signal? Yeah, uh, when the live show, just instead of recording it, it just beams straight out to the audience. I think to have a live show is totally different from a tape show. Because even if a performer, and then when a performer perform on a tape show, they don't feel that stress. They feel they can always reshoot, you know. So where the, the live show is that occasionally spot some mistakes. But those mistakes are human and nice. It's okay. Therefore, I allow my stars to add lip a little bit. If a small little error, people laugh at it. So I think it was the first time ever how quite a live show. But watching a live show, one can tell, can feel that it's really, you're part of them. You're just watching a TV set, but those guys are really talking to your life. <laughs> Robert Chua there, talking about Enjoy Yourself Tonight. Ralph Pixton was an RTHK icon, best known for the call-in programme Open Line. I join Hugh Chiverton, head of the English programme service at RTHK, to look back on a radio treasure. As the average age of the open line participant is mainly made up of those born before 1945, we dedicate this overture to them. The survivors. We were born before television, before penicillin, before polio shots, frozen foods, Xerox, plastic, contact lenses, frisbees and the pill. We were before radar, credit cards, split atoms, laser beams and ballpoint pens, before pantyhose, dishwashers and before man walked on the moon. We got married first, then lived together. How quaint can you be? In our time, closets were for clothes, not for coming out of. 
I did know him quite well. When I knew him, to be honest, he was past his heyday. I guess that was doing Open Line in RTHK. His life story was very, very interesting, and it was out of the ordinary, but in some ways it was kind of typical of a certain kind of expat that existed then and which perhaps doesn't exist anymore. My family were all Cockneys. I was a broad Cockney as a, as a youngster. I was born in Bermondsey, London. We got out just before uh, the beginning of the war and moved down to Scarborough. I think it must have been about 1938. When the storm clouds are riding through a winter sky, sail away. Sail away When the love light is fading In your sweetheart's eye Sail away Sail away He immediately came to Hong Kong after working as a Shakespearean actor. And the story is told by Ted Thomas, who was another long-term broadcaster and head of English broadcasting in Hong Kong, that uh, one day he got this message, there's somebody here to see you, and he went out, and there was this tall man. What happened was my secretary came in and said, there's a rather strange man in reception who wants to see you um, about a job as an announcer. And I wondered how strange it was. I went out there, and there was um, this tall, rather portly man with... uh, black, glistening black hair, Vaseline down, straight back from his forehead. Oh, he was wearing a cloak. <laughs> that was what really uh, took me aback. It was a long cloak. And I said, do you have any experience in um, in broadcasting? And he said, I am an actor. So he, he had been previously a Shakespearean actor. He'd been a Shakespearean actor in this touring company that used to go around the the wilds of uh, India, which uh, subsequently was the subject of a film called Shakespeare Waller, a Merchant's Ivory uh, film, a, a very interesting story. It was run by a guy called Jeffrey Kendall, uh, whose daughter, Felicity Kendall, became a very celebrated actress and was a friend of Ralph and knew him very well. And when he died, uh, we managed to get hold of her and, and she, she spoke very, very nicely about uh, Ralph. And one of the things she pointed out was that he was an entrepreneur as much as an actor or a broadcaster or anything else and that he'd struck out on his own he made his own way in life he stuck to his own way of doing things and he was literally an entrepreneur and that he had business interests and they didn't always come off you know and there was money involved and and and, and so on but he was extremely well-meaning let me put it like this and a very a very nice guy quite a shy man in in some senses and uh i got a telegram back saying join me in Pune." so i did I do remember meeting him first. He was a tea planter in very beautiful Nilgri Hill and was very successful. And he just decided he was going to join this crazy group of actors. Um, And he turned up and he just learned all the parts and went on the stage and was was rather marvellous in a a sort of ralphish way. I was incredibly fond of Ralph. I mean, I was fond of most of the people in our... Our company, they all became 
family, really. And he was uh, somebody very, very special. Uh, I'm really, really sad that he's not with us because he was a great spirit, but a free spirit, a bit like my father. He did have this very special relationship with my parents. They, they really adopted him as a sort of, you know, as a son. And uh, I remember listening to them laughing and chatting way into the night. So uh, I got into character work, and, and um, um, I, I did all the characters, you know, the porter in the unmentionable play and that sort of thing, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And I found that, 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 that these characters came rather suddenly becoming slightly, uh, in your 70s, um, you know, at 23. And, and that developed, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, Geoffrey Kendall went, wanted to go back to England, and I didn't want to go back, uh, relatively speaking, having only just come out again. So we parted company in Singapore, and I got on board a Messagerie Maritime boat, those lovely white French ships, and travelled steerage to Hong Kong. Why should you prolong your stay When the wind and the weather blow your dreams Sky high. Sail away, sail away, sail away. And uh, I decided to stay, and I did a tour of my own of schools. I put together a little program of readings, uh, not all Shakespeare, but some of the classic poems as well. And that uh, was fairly quite a success, and I did a couple of programs for Radio Hong Kong. Then I met Ted Thomas uh, between one of his many marriages, so that dates it. And uh, we talked a lot, and he was instrumental in, in getting me um, uh, accepted here at what was then Radio Hong Kong. And so I joined, and I did a bit of everything. It was a fun place to be, because one could do everything, a bit of production and a bit of announcing and news reading and one thing and another. There was no FM service then, of course. And we closed down at 11 o'clock at night. But lots of exciting things happened because everybody came to Hong Kong. It, it, it certainly wasn't an isolated place. Welcome to The Pleasure's Mine this week. The pleasure is mine, in fact, to welcome back to Hong Kong that great artist, Norman Wisdom. And the good news is there were so many contrasting aspects of broadcasting in Hong Kong that you wouldn't get anywhere else in the world. Does he know I'm here? Yes, I told him. That's going to make things a whole lot easier. You needn't be frightened. He won't hurt you. If he comes near me, I'll scream the place down. In fact, it was Ted Thomas that came to me and said, we really ought to develop a, um, a phone-in segment. Uh, so he said, well, let's give it a try. Can you think of a name? And I, I said, yes, open line. The programme started in uh, 67 because of the riots. In fact, um, when I suggested it, first of all, the um, authorities nearly had a fit. They said, you mean you're going to put listeners on the air live? What if they shout filthy words and hang up? And I said, oh, we'll take care of that one way and another. Open line was a success, I think, from the very word go, because it intrigued people. It, it was. Remember, we were probably uh, the first station, certainly in Asia, ever to have a, a phone-in pro segment. 
people with problems used to ring in and people with complaints about government departments used to ring in. And in the early days, very few government departments would respond. Hello. Yes. How much do you know about UFOs in Hong Kong? I'm, a, I'm an absolute authority. You are an authority? Yes. Excellent. Referring to condoms and everything, are they biodegradable? Yes, I'm not really into the history of condoms. While walking along the street, people have bumped into me. My recommendation is a suit of armour. Any animal going on television and barking on Radio 3, I gather. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? Well, I mean, we'll take anybody. You can show me yours and I'll show you mine. We'll, you know, we can sort of do this. Not in this weather. <laughs> People had this extraordinary kind of vision of him. He used to say that people would call him because he did this phone-in program called Open Line, and people thought that he did it from a sort of leather armchair or something with a <laughs> with a stroking a, a, a leopard or something like that. And he was just sitting in the studio and so on. The, the truth was much more mundane. But he had this great voice and a great sort of manner. And he, he spoke like that all the time and he's kind of lived in that manner, lived in his safari suit as well. You don't see many of those safari suits around anymore. But extraordinary character, an extraordinary guy, yeah, and, and much missed still and, and remembered, I think. Hugh Chiverton looking back on the life of broadcaster Ralph Pixton. Next week, we'll hear how RTHK News becomes independent, an outdoor broadcast of the opening of the Cross Harbour Tunnel, a chat with Bruce Lee and the creation of Radio 2. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>